0: I couldn't keep my eye off of this photo that I saw on this website of, a, of a, um, a missions group that Linda and I support. There was this smiling picture of a mom and a dad. They were Congolese, and there were seven kids in this picture, and behind them was a banner that said in Swahili, which, which, uh, which was translated for us in the, in the article, it said, Welcome home. They had been from one uh, end of the country to the other in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, running uh, for their lives. The violence, the unspeakable um, uh, uh, heinous acts uh, that are happening in that country—they had literally watched everybody else in their family be slaughtered before their eyes. And they had. There were seven kids in this picture. Three of them were orphans that they that had been orphaned through the violence. Uh, in that country. And they had grabbed those orphans and they, they fled to the northeast side of the country and they crossed over into Uganda where they were in a refugee camp. And they spent 12 years there. And I don't know if you've done much reading about the refugee camp's around the world, but every displaced people group that are in these camps are suffering tremendously. There's barely enough food, there is so much disease, there's despair, uh, there is sexual abuse and assault uh, by those who are supposed to care for them as well as from within the camp. I mean, it is a horrendous story, and they were there 12 years. They had applied for asylum to the US, and they waited. Day after day, wondering, if they'd get a letter. Can you imagine? They have four of their own kids in those 12 years in the camp. And then one day, the letter arrived. And all nine of them were sponsored by a Presbyterian church, a Lutheran organization, and a synagogue in a little town in Minnesota outside Minneapolis. And they were flown to the U.S., and presented with all that they needed for the life that they had been waiting for that whole time. And in the article, the mom, the matriarch of this clan says, they were what we had waited for. That was the answer. That was what they were longing for. Friends, as we come into this summer in the scriptures, we're reading about the story of God, and we've been four or five weeks now, I forget what week we're on, we're... we're into this reading, and we're reading in the Old Testament, and what we found in this Old Testament is that the people of God have been waiting and longing for a Savior. They're waiting for one day when God would send a rescue from our sin and our brokenness and our, our, our uh, uh, separation from God, the struggles this side of heaven, that God would actually send a Savior. And so we end up with this text in John chapter 1 that's part of our reading. We turn the corner from the Old Testament to the New Testament, because the New Testament is the story of Jesus, who is that Savior. And we have this verse in John, two of these verses among this incredible chapter in John 1 that we read. In the beginning was the Word. This is the, this is the The um, living Word of God, the living creative force of God, this is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here's the proclamation of the deity of Jesus our Savior, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. God became human, and Eugene Peterson says in his translation, and moved into the neighborhood. God has come, the Savior. Friends, Jesus, after reading all of this story that God is revealing about himself and about what we need, in the end, Jesus has come, and he's the one that we've all been waiting for. That's the story of God as it's unfolding from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And that's where we have gotten. And so I titled my sermon, The Hopes and Fears of All the Years. You know the rest of this? Are met in thee tonight. It's from a little town in Bethlehem. Jesus came as the solution, as the longing of every human heart. He's what we've been waiting for. And as the story of God has unfolded, He, in fact, is what the whole story points to. I'm gonna give you a couple of points about this transition. Thanks be to God, we're uh, kind of done now and turning the corner into the New Testament. Can we get some thank you, Jesus, for some New Testament time? Those of you that are reading through the summer in the scriptures, it's been a long haul, but we've gotten all of it. Here's what we've learned so far. A couple of points that I don't want you to miss as we transition to the New Testament around the story of God. Number one, everything in the Old Testament has, pointing us, has been pointing us toward the coming of a Savior. Everything we've been reading has been pointing us toward this idea. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one that we're longing for. He's the one that will set us free from being refugees that have wandered and suffered the atrocities of the human condition. He's the one who will bring us to Minneapolis, if you will. Everything has been pointing to this coming of a Savior. In fact, there's a couple verses in the New Testament, and this is kind of 201 theology, friends. I mean, this is not basic stuff. I'm going to have you hang with me. Are you, feeling, you got your thinking caps on? You ready to track with me? Are you good? Are you okay? Um, and by the way, we're going to have a little Q&A at the end of this. So if you've got some questions, I want you to jot it down. We'll have some question and answer, okay? But look at these two verses. I wanted to show you two verses. First one from uh, Galatians chapter 3. It says this. The law, the Old Testament, the stuff that God taught to his people as he began to reveal the story, the law about that we would live uh, pure lives before God, that we would be obedient to God, that we would live out the full potential of us as human beings, that law, it says that was our guardian until Christ came. That was our guardian. That was one who walked along with us. That was one who helped us stay in the lane. In other words, that was just a partial understanding of what this God relationship was going to be about until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. You see, the law was that we were justified by what? Works, by our actions. The old covenant was God said, listen, be faithful to be my people and I will bless you. And if you are not faithful to be my people, you will not experience my blessing." That was just there to keep us in the, our lane to learn about God until, what's the verse say? Until Christ came and we were justified not by our works, but by faith in Christ. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer, no longer under this guardian. This, this, this guardian, was a, it's, a, it's a, a, a Greco-Roman term that, that was like a babysitter. It was one who would walk along with a minor to help them get to school, do their studies, tutor them, and keep them where they needed to be. But we don't need that anymore because Christ has come. The Old Testament has brought us toward Christ. The second verse, very similar in Romans chapter 10, says, For Christ is the culmination of the law, Christ is at the end of the law, so that there might be righteousness for everybody who believes. You remember before it was like righteousness is how we behaved and act and we kept getting it wrong. That's why it's such a long slog to read through the Old Testament as we're reading about loser after loser, right? You're like, what is the matter with these people? I mean me, I mean my wife, right? I mean, like, we're like, we're all a mess. But at the end of all of that, Christ stood as the one that we were waiting for to bring righteousness. Not because we could be perfected in how we lived but because of His grace and His mercy. You with me? You got it? So what's the point? What's that number one point that I had up there? That that, uh, everything in the Old Testament has been pointing us toward the coming of a Savior. This was the prophet's message. It pointed toward Jesus, and it pointed toward Jesus even specifically. We're going to do some Bible study, so grab a Bible in front of you, and uh, we're going to really turn to a few chapters, uh, pages together. Some verses I'll just quote, some I want you to read, but I want everybody to have a Bible in front of them. And um, We're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, which is part of our reading this week. Isaiah 53, and I'm going to need a page number from the church Bible. 735. David, you're going to be my guy for all these, okay? When I call out a passage, I want a a page from you within seconds. I want it to be like Google. Like I want, like I want, boom, like one one hundredth of a second I want the page number, okay? (laughs) I'm messing around. I didn't even look it up. All right, wait. Isaiah 53. What page is it? Seven. Seven thirty-five. This was in our reading. This is Isaiah, is one of the prophets. Isaiah's writing in the sixth century before Christ, and Isaiah has four uh, passages, long passages, where he, he talks about the suffering servant, the servant of God that's going to come and be a rescuer just one more chapter in the history of God's people. they have gotten themselves into mess. They had enemies that were bearing down on them and they were longing for God to come through. And ultimately all of these prophets are looking across the tops of the mountaintops of time. And they may be looking for a rescuer from the Assyrians that are, that are coming down on them or the Babylonians that are coming down on them. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff. I know. Come to my seminar. We're going to learn all that stuff. And and then, ultimately, the fulfillment, though, is in Jesus. And then you start to see the specificity of Jesus being the one to whom the whole Old Testament is pointed. Look at me at chapter 53, verse 1. Who's believed our message, the prophet says. Our message, meaning the message of the prophets. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? An arm of the Lord is the the symbol of power. And to whom is God's sort of victory coming? He grew up like a tender shoot, He's starting to describe this savior that's going to come. See if it doesn't sound familiar to what we know of Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from, from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we were considered by, uh, sorry, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Do you see it? He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds. I'll read it together. We are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the picture of the Savior who would come and instead of holding us to the old covenant, the old way, obey and you're blessed, don't obey and you're distant from God, the Savior would come and would gather us unto himself and all of our sin and all of our iniquity would be covered up because of what he did and now we're righteous because of what he did, not because of what we do and, by the way, cannot do. Everything points to Jesus the Savior. He is what we've all been waiting for. That's what the Old Testament has been doing. It's been pointing us to the coming of a Savior. And it's not just the prophets' messages that talk about Jesus. It's all through the scriptures. Just turn with me to Genesis chapter three. Page number, David. Genesis three. First book of the Bible. Page three. Page three, page three is Genesis three. Page three, you can go and you can, and, and I hope that you're in the habit of, of, uh, of taking some notes because then you can go study all this stuff. But page three, uh, Genesis three is about the fall. It's about the fall where Adam and Eve who are the prototype of every one of us who decided they didn't want to live God's way, they wanted to live their own way, and they wanted to have their own control of their own lives. That's essentially the story of every single one of your spouses and me and you. And it's just the brokenness of the human condition. It's the fall. And at the end of the fall, God has come and said, why have you done this? So now you are, we can't be in a relationship. It's the story of our separation from God, all of humanity's for all time, this separation from God, story of sin, Doing stuff our own way. At the end of this story of the fall, God talks about now what the consequences of that are going to be. And we're out of Eden. We can't live in Minneapolis anymore. We're out of the promised, beautiful land of perfection. And look at verse 21. It ends this way. The Lord God, verse 21, chapter 3. That's probably page 4, huh? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. I don't miss this. The whole Old Testament is pointing toward a Savior that would come. In the midst of the fall, God says, I will cover you in your shame. I'll cover you in your nakedness. I'll cover you with what you don't bring. I will come and meet your need. This is a picture of a Savior who will come and and give us, cover us in our lack. In fact, it was He was covered by an animal skin, which meant that there was bloodshed. There was an animal who died. There was a sacrifice so that people would be covered in their nakedness, in their sin. That's a picture of God going, I'm going to bring the sacrifice to cover you. You see it? There's a Savior. And right after the fall, there's a picture of a Savior that's already there. Look at a couple chapters over at Genesis chapter 22. A few chapters to the right. Genesis chapter 2, as you're turning to it, page number 20, page 20. Genesis chapter 2 is the story of Abraham and Isaac, and if you don't know the story, the story is where God tested Abraham and told him, listen, I want you to sacrifice your child on the altar for me. If you love me, you will sacrifice for me. And this was because God is starting to reveal how he's going to interact with people, and Abraham came from a place of the Chaldeans back in Ur, back in ancient Sumeria. You don't know where that is. We're going to have cool maps in this seminar coming up on Saturday. There's so much great stuff here. He brought this tradition with him of like, well, I guess if we're going to please God, we're going to do human sacrifice. Well, so God says, hey, listen, I want you to go take your son and sacrifice him on the altar. God's revealing a new thing, right? As you know the story, Abraham goes along and he's like, oh man, I don't know what's going to happen here. And his son has to cry out to him in the story and go, Father, we've got the wood and we've got the, the, the flint, like, like the fire. So, but where's, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, in faith, the Lord himself will provide a lamb. Now, now, here, now, do you hear some New Testament in here? The Lord himself is going to provide a lamb. And he goes on and he's willing. God's like, I don't know. How this is going I mean, Abraham's like, I don't know how this is going to work. And he almost sacrifices his son. An angel stops him. And then at the end of it, look down at the end of the story in verse 13. And so Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, this is Genesis 22, verse 13. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Look at verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Oh my gosh, this is so good. Are you as excited as me? I don't know. Listen to this. God, how can, we, how can we create a sacrifice that's acceptable to God? Abraham from, from page 20 goes The Lord's gonna provide a lamb. The Lord's gonna provide the sacrifice. The Lord's gonna cover all of our sin. We're not barbarians who would sacrifice our children. We're gonna trust God to bring a sacrifice that will cover our sin and our brokenness and restore us in relationship. The Lord will provide a a lamb. And that is said to this day, we said, on the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. Do you know what the mountain of the Lord is? He sacrificed, he went to sacrifice Isaac, which he didn't have to do, on Mount Moriah, you guys, which people think was where Jesus was sacrificed. How cool is that? Okay. I'll take you there. We want to go to Israel. Look at so this is this is the story. Everything has been pointing to Jesus. We could talk about Moses and Joshua, who were these examples of people who led God's people across insurmountable barriers against uh, unassailable uh, uh, enemies, and God kept providing life for them led them toward promised land, right? The land of milk and honey, a land called a land of rest, where there would finally be peace for God's people. That's what we've all been longing for. That's what this Congolese family longed for, a place of rest and home and anchoring and care and peace. That's the picture of, the, of that metaphor. That's what we've all been looking for. And Moses and Joshua, they led them toward that promised land. By the way, then in Hebrews chapter 4, take this note, Hebrews chapter 4, it says that Joshua was never able to provide that rest. But there's a rest now, it says, waiting for the people of God. And that's through Christ. It was a metaphor. The real rest is Jesus. The whole Old Testament points us toward the coming of a Savior. One last thought about that, because I want to talk about the sacrifices. All of the sacrifices, the blood poured out to cleanse the people of God in the Old Testament. All those pictures of all the sacrifices. And by the way, we didn't make you read through Leviticus on your reading plan. You're welcome. But all of those pictures, you're always like, what is that about, you guys? All of those things point to the holiest sacrifice, which is that of Jesus on the cross. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 real quick. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to need a page number for the, from the church Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. While you're turning to it, by the way, were you two weeks ago? Did you sign up for a Bible and then miss last week? Because I got a few extra if you're the ones that signed up for them. Okay, come up and get them. There's color on every page. So that's kind of cool. There's pictures. 12, 11, 1, 2, 1, 1 is Hebrews chapter 10. You've got to see this. I'm just going to read the first few verses and then drop down to verse 10. But uh, look at um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Everybody there? You got it? I love it. I love that you're in your Bibles. I love you're looking at the pages. I love it. I love the rustling noise. I love it. Can you tell I love that? <laughs> Hebrews 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. There it is. Do you see it? The Old Testament's pointing to something better, to a shadow of something that's coming. The law is only a shadow of the things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. These sacrifices couldn't do what everybody hoped that they would do, which is bring them back to God. Verse two, otherwise, they would not have, wouldn't they not have stopped being offered? for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. That's what that whole Old Testament was about. It's a reminder, friends. The story as God was revealing it is to say, listen, let me tell you some truth about me that's pointing to all of us needing the Savior, a rescuer. And so the sacrifices were reminders That we're sinful and broken and separated from God. You got that reminder by reading the Old Testament, didn't you? That we're sinful and broken and separated from God. These sacrifices are reminders of that. Look at verse 4. It is impossible, though, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So that was never going to work. You with me? Everybody tracking with me? Drop down to page uh, page 10. Verse 10. And this is talking about Jesus saying, I will come and do your will, God, verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see how it's a fulfillment of the Old Testament? Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again while he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, that's on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of God. In that John chapter one passage, John the Baptist looks and sees Jesus showing up and he says to all his disciples and all the religious people who are coming to get baptized, all the spiritually hungry people, he looks, he sees Jesus coming and he goes, behold, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world the Savior. That's what our rescue has come. That's what we've been waiting for. John chapter 1. Thanks be to God we're in the New Testament now, right? The whole Old Testament has been pointing to the coming of a Savior, to the coming of Jesus. And so if that's been true, then, then one day, this is the good news, then one day that Savior was finally born in a manger. That's, just, that's just the, the that, the Word became flesh, John 1.14 says, and dwelled among us to bring light and life and salvation. I need you to look at this passage very quickly with me, Galatians chapter 4. You've got to look at it, even though I'm running out of time, so turn to it really fast. Galatians chapter 4. Somebody get me a, a page number as fast as you can. 1170. 1170. Well done, Google. That was, uh, was awesome. 1170, Galatians chapter 4. Jesus came. Is this crazy? The Savior that we were waiting for. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, when the right time came, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive, what does it say? Adoption, full rights to sonship. The daughtership. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into you, our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, father, dad. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The Savior came at just the right time, came to earth, and redeemed us, rescued us by what he did on the cross. This is why Christmas is so moving, you guys. It's not, and I pray, I pray you get past the presents and the cocktail parties and Santa. I pray you get past that when we get to Advent every year and we spend a 12th of our worship year saying, the answer has come. What we've been longing for has arrived. The Savior has been sent. The story of God has been revealing our need for this all along. And so then we sing songs like like uh, little town of Bethlehem. Our hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And we look at the angels in the in the you know in, in Luke chapter two, you know, and uh, gathered around them and showed up, and they, they were all the shepherds were afraid, and the angels proclaimed, Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news. Of great joy. For today in the town of David, a rescuer has come. A savior has been born and his name is Jesus. Our God saves. Come on now, is that good news? Everything's been pointing to this. And one day he shows up, he moves into the neighborhood. And so what's left and what's last for us then is that we might then become the children of God. So we might become the children of God. This is the the third point, the thing I want to leave you with. You know, it's fact, the whole whole Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Then one day he showed up in the manger so that we can become the children of God. This is the point. John 1, 12 in our reading this week in the book of John says, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, but born of God, born again. We're adopted. We're children. We're sons and daughters, full heirs, as Galatians 4 talked about. And so two really important points i got to leave with you here as we look at this third idea of becoming children of God. One, friends, you can reject once for all the idea that you can save yourself by works. You will never, ever be good enough to please a perfect God. He is pleased with you because you are adopted into his family as his son's and his daughter's beautiful created beings. And you got to let that go. If you're new to this and you're kind of thinking, man, I kind of want to improve my life and I want to get better and I want to I think maybe I'm I'm okay. I'm better than most people, that's for sure. I've watched Dateline, you know, like no, no. This is not how it works. We're adopted into his family and our righteousness comes from the Savior who covers our sin. If you've been around a long time on this journey, spiritual journey, can you reject and let go once and for all that you're never, ever going to please God by your works? That's not it. He's pleased because he knew you when you were in your mother's womb and created you to be who it is that you are. And he has rescued you and taken away all of that which keeps, you between, uh, keeps a relationship between you and him. It's what Jesus did. It's the rescue that we've been waiting for. For it is by grace we've been saved, says the New Testament, not by works. So nobody's boasting, but we've been given a free gift of salvation. And so we must receive him. That verse, that John verse says, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children. He made it available. Have you received him? Have you made that decision and choice to say, oh my gosh, this is incredible news. That the rescuer has come and I will receive his rescuing. If you've not done that, even today, if what I've shared, you're like, whoa, this is all coming together for me like I get it. And that, those words, that, that idea of giving yourself into the rescue of God, if that is even happening for you today, you can make that choice. In fact, just as I close before the Q&A time, I just, I'm gonna pray a prayer and I'm gonna pray, this may be, everybody prays this with me, but maybe the first time you've ever prayed this, of asking Christ to be your rescuer. Father God, I have spent my whole life trying to figure it out on my own trying to fix me, trying to get better and trying to go my own way. And so I confess that that is not your way and that I need your forgiveness. And I receive this morning by faith what Jesus did on the cross for me. That because of that, I've been adopted into your family and I want that God. I receive that today. I want to give you my life, and I want to receive life forgiveness from you. And I long now, God, to follow you all the days of my life. I want to be your woman, your man. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for adopting me. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.